Hey y'all. So when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Campsite Media. We come up on the parking lot of a seedy motel in Vegas. It's night, but it's not dark, because it's never dark here with all the buzzing neon signs. And tonight, there's also the hypnotic red-blue, red-blue of police car lights flashing over the scene. There's been a crime. Sprawled out on the black pavement is the body of a teenage girl. The victim is a 16-year-old girl who lives on the premises. She's the daughter of Mark and Nicole Jones, who run the motel. She's thin, she's pretty, but wait a minute. Does she look a little familiar? The investigator approaches the body. I knew her. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna knock on some doors. He recognizes her, and you think you might recognize her too. The oval face, the pouty lips, skin perfectly smooth like a scoop of French vanilla ice cream. Oh my God, you do recognize her. You figure it out yet? That's Taylor Swift on an episode of CSI. She's playing a 16-year-old who, in one of many flashbacks, I mean, this is CSI after all, will tell a detective that she has been witness to a murder. You can tell me. I'm not scared of that stuff. I can see that. Haley, leave the man alone. If it were up to her, I'd be locked in my room all day. But I told her, forensics is just science, you know? Okay, okay, I can hear the Swifties shouting right now because any self-respecting fan knows that Taylor was on CSI for one episode in 2009. Rolling, rolling. Let's let's tighten up on the B camera, please. I'm here on set with her. Why would that be? Well, I'm reporting on Taylor, who was then a new young country star, and I'm following her all over the country through all sorts of small potato stints, like taking this guest role on CSI. She wasn't the most famous woman in the world, not yet. This cameo felt like just about the most exciting thing that had ever happened to her. And I know Taylor would later say that about a lot of things, but it really did feel like something she prayed and wished for. For about three years, I've been saying everywhere that my favorite show is okay. CSI. Just imagine being a teenager, getting a role on your favorite TV show, and getting to do all your scenes with your favorite character. Plus, she has the coolest costume and coolest character backstory 
ever. I'm black hair, lip ring, nose ring, earring, 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 spikes, skirt, combat boots, and you end up figuring out that there's this whole backstory that, you know, my parents had a child that ended up dying, and I was the second replacement child, and my mom never really loved me, and all this stuff, there's so many different intricate storylines that come into play. Without being a total spoiler, I do want to share that in this show, Taylor gets stabbed by the person playing her mother by accident with a pair of scissors to the heart, which is maybe the most CSI thing ever. Now, if Taylor Swift's real life were a CSI episode, there would be lots of dead bodies. Uh, Metaphorical dead bodies, at least. But none of those metaphorical dead bodies would ever be Taylor Swift herself. She's pretty invincible, right? Every time she gets into a tiff with someone, whether that's Kanye or Scooter Braun or Scott Borchetta, the head of her former label, Taylor is the one left standing tall. And her adversaries? They go down in infamy. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Infamous, and I am Vanessa Gregoriatis. I'm Natalie Robomed. So this series is generally about prominent people and their infamous scandals, all told by the journalists who reported on them. But this week, we're turning our attention to perhaps the most famous woman in the world, who just seems to become more and more famous as people who were previously not interested in her want to get a glimpse too. Taylor is like a literal star in the sky that keeps getting hotter and hotter, bigger and bigger as time goes on. And now, she's a supernova. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift is sort of like Glenda the Good Witch, (laughs) um, using a sparkly wand to make people's dreams come true. So right. Uh, She's this year's Time Person of the Year. Yep. Um, Her tours generate the GDP of a small country, and uh, she's just an all-round superstar. I mean, here Mm. she is giving a commencement address at NYU a couple years ago and calming the whole audience down. We are led by our gut instincts, our intuition, our desires and fears, our scars and our dreams. And as long as we are fortunate enough to be breathing, we will breathe in, breathe through, breathe deep, breathe out. And I am a doctor now, so I know how breathing works. I mean, if you told people Taylor Swift also just happened to be a doctor, I think some people would believe that. She wears so many hats and she means so much to so many people. Yeah, she's a country star who crossed over to pop, a singer-songwriter and a Beyonce-like queen. Someone whose lyrics are about tiny notice moments in regular quotidian life, who also plays the biggest arenas. 
That's very much right. She's like this little woodland nymph who somehow ended up on the cover of a million magazines. And very, very far from that 19-year-old on CSI who had, you know, the sort of put-on country accent because she'd been living in Nashville and trying to make it in the country business. Now she's just so outspoken, so independent, just unafraid to say anything. Lately, there's been a new shift that has affected me personally and that I feel is a potentially harmful force in our industry. And as your resident loud person, I feel the need to bring it up. And that is the unregulated world of private equity coming in and buying up our music as if it is real estate, as, it, as if it's an app or a shoe line. Now, the stuff that Taylor's talking about right there, that's part of how so many people around her would come to infamy. And we'll be talking about all of that. She certainly wielded an incredible amount of power for someone who really sings mostly about love and relationships in sparkly leotards that often look like she's about to go ice skating. I mean, at this point, you can't enter a mall or even a Walgreens without hearing her piped into the space. Sometimes those songs are awesome, and sometimes they are, quite frankly, sort of cloying, at least to me. It's cupcake-sweet teenage wish fulfillment, or heartbreak, that's slightly sour. Still, she has had so many victories, and I was there for the first. This is what happened. Rolling Stone sent me to extensively interview Taylor in 2009 in several different cities for her first Rolling Stone cover. That's where these tape recordings were taken, and I'm sorry they're a bit scratchy, but they are sort of old. She was so excited that the magazine was ready to anoint her. Ever in my life, ever went to, I'm going to get a call that says, you're, you're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And yet, here we were. I was the reporter from Rolling Stone, and she was, indeed, going on the cover. I'd flown out to Los Angeles to talk to her, to really get to know her, and in some ways to analyze if she was going to be a big star, if she was going to be the kind of artist that we'd put on the cover again and again over the years, like Bruce Springsteen or Bob Dylan. Or was she going to be more like in sync? Even Taylor didn't know. It's self-preservation. I try yeah. not to go too far out there and and predict that I'm going to be so successful and all that. Self-preservation. That's a good word to keep in mind with her because it's a term she used in our conversation over and over. And it's a thing she's done as an artist over and over. It's part of why she is still here and is today the biggest artist in the world. And yet... Was I really sure she was going to end up where she's ended up? At the time, I was doing a lot of stories like this, about young musical artists hitting a new high in their careers. I mean, I interviewed Justin Bieber for his first Rolling Stone cover, too. But in terms of Taylor, I didn't really know who I was going to meet. At the time, there was a lot of talk about how she was the new Leanne Rhymes, another teenage country prodigy. That doesn't sound anything like Taylor, right? Leanne was a teenager when she got popular, but she sang like a married mom with kids. 
that's what you were supposed to sound like back then if you did country. But Taylor was very much a girl. I'm five years old, it's getting cold. I've got my big coat on. I hear your laugh and look up smiling at you. I run and run. Now, she's not often that childlike in her songs. I mean, literally five years old. She's more like a modern-day novelist writing a book from a kid's POV. A girl who was just a sponge for humans' strongest emotions. We've always got emotions going on, but sometimes it's louder than others. Yeah, and the trick is to write songs that's really loud. If you couldn't quite make that out, she's saying that we all have emotions, and that sometimes those emotions are louder than they are at others. It's when those emotions are the loudest that she writes her songs. And for writing these songs, being in touch with these emotions, the Washington Post had called her the Poet Laureate of Puberty, and millions of people were buying what she was selling. At 16, her hard work paid off, and her debut CD was the number one highest-selling country album of 2007. Taylor's second album, Fearless, came out before I met her. I listened to a lot of it in the car on the way to see her. She was getting noticed and not only by me. Yesterday, I woke up and um, went to the Beverly Center. Mm-hmm. This is so funny because my dad's never seen paparazzi before. Okay. <laughs> There's a guy behind that trash can. <laughs> and um, I was like, Dad, don't point at him. Yeah. Do not point at him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was so funny. Do you worry about, like, pictures? I think there's always that there's always that inclination to be scared that you're going to lose what you have. Yeah. But honestly, if you just be yourself and if you if you focus too much on it to the point where you get paranoid, then you're not enjoying what you're lucky enough to have. Yeah. You know, when I get in those moments where you think, you know, what if someone says something about me that's not true and what if, you know, someone's, you know, sees something and says it with something else. Yeah. You can do that all day until you drive yourself insane. But yeah. I kind of started living by the motto of I'd rather enjoy this than spend every single minute being afraid of losing it. Now, I don't imagine Taylor is still okay with paparazzi. But remember, this was almost a decade and a half ago. It was a time she was excited to be on CSI, and the big players in Hollywood still impressed her. I mean, here she is talking about Jerry Bruckheimer, the bombastic director and executive producer of CSI. Not exactly a household name for your average teenager. I got to meet Jerry Bruckheimer, though, and Cuba Gooding Jr. We were walking through one of the hallways, and all of a sudden they walked by. And the girl who was leading us said, oh, that's Jerry Bruckheimer. He's a big Kings fan. And I just stopped in my tracks. I was like, Can we please turn around? Fandom, gratitude, the giving and taking of praise, loving other people, being kind. This was a lot of what Taylor was about. She even ran her own MySpace and Twitter accounts. She showed me them. I just write what's going on. You know, I'm sitting there in my bed and my cat snoring. That's right back. (laughs) And she really responded to some of her own fan mail. You know, it's really awesome when someone writes me a letter and says, 
you know, I think we would be great together. Can we go to prom? Right, you know, right, that's right. That's the sweetest thing in the world, and I love yeah. that. Very rarely am I ever creeped out by anything because I know what it's like to have music just absolutely be the one thing holding up your day. And if my music could be that to somebody, then I'll read their letter. But even in these very early days, there were people trying to take her down. Hackers were constantly trying to get into her MySpace. I'm not trying to hack into my MySpace. Oh, really? Yeah. All the time or just right now? All the time. Nonstop. I don't know what they want to do. I mean, yeah. they'll hack into your site and they'll leave comments on all your friends' things, promoting their thing. And one day soon, Taylor would discover that this wasn't just limited to MySpace. She had real-life hackers, very famous people like Kanye West, who wanted to take her down, spoil her image, use her for their own promotional purposes. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com infamous. That's rocketmoney.com infamous. rocketmoney.com infamous. Back in the 90s, Pepsi and Coca-Cola were in a heated race to try and win loyal customers by any means necessary. But when Pepsi launched an ambitious promotion that encouraged people to buy Pepsi and redeem points for prizes, they overlooked their own fine print in a major way. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question. Who thought this was a good idea? Like, who at Pepsi thought it would be a good idea to advertise that people could earn enough points to redeem a military jet as a prize? When they launched their Pepsi points system, they never imagined somebody might actually try to snag it. But a 23-year-old did, and suddenly, Pepsi owed him a jet. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This is Infamous from Campside Media. So when you write for Rolling Stone, you get a lot of access to your subject. I mean, a lot of access. I had met Taylor at CSI. It was a whole thing. I had to drive to the CBS lot in Studio City, get a pass, go park in this huge parking garage. And then I walked through a bunch of cavernous sound stages to find her, this tall 19-year-old just sitting in a director's chair. And when she was done taping, we went out in the blinding sun 
We walked past golf carts and gaffers and found her trailer, an RV trailer, that was lined up next to the other actors on set and talked some more about how CSI was shooting most of her scenes on location. We've been shooting in North Hollywood all week at an actual motel. We're in like 90 degree heat and at night when it drops to 50, when I'm laying on the ground covered in blood, shivering. Still, Taylor loved the whole process. The melodrama, of course, the costumes, the creativity, even the part about dying, though that didn't sit quite right with her mom. Uh, my mom was a little freaked out because yeah. I'm open-eyed dead. Yeah. Literally had to stare off into nothing and not breathe for the times when I was being close up. Yeah. And they were doing checking rigor in my arm and mm-hmm. checking my jaw and doing all these things, and I've got to keep a staring stance off into nowhere yeah. and not flinch, not twitch. She was watching the monitor, just like, oh, no. Taylor's mom and dad were around quite a bit when we were talking. She was 19, but still close to them, and they were helping her with business. She'd been so driven since she was a kid, partially because of them. Her father worked for Merrill Lynch, and it's been reported that among his ancestors are many bank presidents. Her mom was a mutual fund wholesaler, which was also lucrative. You got a business card that said Taylor. You might, you, know, you might not know whether that's a guy or a girl. But, you know, that was a cool angle to it. But it's like, you know, I could be either a guy or a girl. She's saying that part of why she was named Taylor was her mom wanted an androgynous name. So she could later be just a business person in a business world. Taylor's parents ended up raising her on a Christmas tree farm in Pennsylvania. My heart is a Christmas tree farm. There's a light in the barn. We'd run inside out from the cold in the town. Kids are dream. When her mom would garden, she would put Taylor on an old Shetland pony that just didn't move. And that way, she could gather her vegetables for dinner. They had a grape arbor to make jam from purple grapes. The place just fed Taylor's imagination. Words and stories and fairy tales were my favorite thing. I mean, I didn't live in a neighborhood. I was in the middle of nowhere. And I was able to just go anywhere I wanted in my head. Taylor started acting in kiddie plays at nine. But what she really loved was the rap party having a karaoke machine. And the type of karaoke she really loved to sing was the stuff of a slightly earlier decade. 90s, women-led country. Her parents were sort of surprised by Taylor's love of country, but they were willing to help out, drive her all over where she could sing. To be clear, she was also commuting to New York City for vocal and acting lessons, and even made a demo CD of herself singing other people's songs. There was a bit of a child star with mama in tow thing happening. But she says the real change came when she got a guitar to make her own music. When I was about 12, I had a guy come over and fix my computer. 
And this IT guy happened to have a guitar with him because he played in a band. He asked if she wanted to learn some chords. And she started to write a song that night. And he taught me three chords and left the guitar with me that week. She was having a little bit of success as a singer, even performing the national anthem at a Sixers game in Philadelphia when she was a preteen, wearing a red sweater and a glitter top with the image of the American flag. But when she made a local newspaper, the Reading Eagle, for the success, she got made fun of. In fact, what she loved so much, singing, was part of what was targeted. That was like a black backlash at school. Yeah. We were in middle school, and anything that makes you different in middle school makes you weird. There's even a story about how one day, Taylor called her friends, or her so-called friends, to go to the mall, and they all said they were busy. But then she went to the mall with her mom, and there they all were. Just there in Victoria's Secret, together without her. I yeah. literally could not stop playing guitar. I would play until my fingers were bleeding. I, they had, my mom would have to take up my fingers for me. You can imagine how popular that was. <laughs> Taylor kept writing songs and playing and pushing, moving to Nashville even for a record deal as a songwriter. And so many things went right. And then here she was in L.A., a star talking to Rolling Stone. We discuss who she's been hanging out with. It's Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez, these former Disney child stars who are now teenagers. Now, this part of the interview is quite hard for me to listen to, mostly because I sound like such a loserish, prying adult. Did you meet them all over the summer? Did you know them? Miley and met probably two years ago. Right. So I've known her the longest, and Demi and Selena and I get kind of that close to summer. Yeah. And those three are really good friends, right? Mm-hmm. Or are they? Well, okay? really tight. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're all friends. Okay. That's cool. That's great. Yeah, I mean, so it's much nice fun. to have people who are in the same... And are they your age or are they older? No, Miley is Miley's 16. Okay. They're all 16. Yeah. I think Jenny's 17. Okay. But do yeah. they feel younger than you? I don't know. They all act <laughs> my age. It's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, they probably I always I mean, forget that they're 16. Yeah. Taylor was 19, but in some ways she felt closer to 16, if I'm being honest. And hearing her talk like this reminds me of what critic Sasha Frere-Jones wrote about her early on, saying that her songs could be given to someone 20 years older and they'd work just fine. The concerns of kids aren't necessarily juvenile, just their reactions. Bridging that gap is the job of pop music. When people sing Love Me Do to themselves on their way to a date 10 years on the other side of their second divorce, it's a sign that a young singer-songwriter has gotten to a universal truth. It's Taylor's concerns with all the youthful stages of life that so many fans have been moved by, the way she's been able to dig into them with such novelistic detail. But how long would she last for? What was the staying power of this gambit?
Anybody who has a sibling knows that sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope, on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince Harry and Prince William. They'd been each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wandry's podcast, Dis and Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds. And they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle? Or was it something that began much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wandery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. So again, as I said, this was Rolling Stone I was reporting for, and it was a lot of access, which means I saw Taylor Swift again. In fact, we went to a grocery store to get some ingredients to make cookies next. She wanted to make mocha chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate chocolate chip cookies. Um, no, mocha chocolate chocolate chip cookies. We talked in the car. I love LA. Yeah. I think miraculous and sparkly here. But um, I don't think my life should be miraculous and sparkly all the time. We drove through the winding streets of Beverly Hills and up, up, up as Taylor pointed out all the celebrity homes. Soon we pulled into the driveway for country music power couple Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. Faith Hill is, of course, one of the biggest country stars, the kind who crossed over into the mainstream, won a bunch of Grammys, and has her music playing in department stores across America. Tim McGraw's music is more traditional country. He's also had acting roles in things like The Blind Side and Friday Night Lights. Their house, of course, was gorgeous. It was Mediterranean style, white stucco with a red tiled roof. There was a big pool out back and those terracotta patio tiles that were all the rage back then. Taylor Swift was staying here because she didn't have a place in LA yet and they were new friends. In a very canny move that her record label also admitted was a canny move, she even named one of her first songs Tim McGraw. This song was sort of wistful. It was all about a past love and how they'd had a special Tim McGraw song that brought them together. And now Taylor's version of Tim McGraw was a huge hit. I mean, this girl was really just into love and falling in love, singing about love, Romeo, Juliet, fairy tale love. It was all a little exhausting, but she was selling it hard. 
the first time I heard Tim McGraw on the radio, I'm just driving down the road, this girl calls in and is like, hi, can I hear that Tim McGraw song you played earlier? That, that, and he's like, what Tim McGraw song you wanna hear? She's like, the one by Taylor Swift. And I'm like, yes, yes. And so I was like freaking out and I almost dro drove off the road. All of their success meant that Faith Hill and Tim McGraw had really blown it out on their house, which feels like being in a fairy tale castle, all sumptuous wallpaper and beautiful rugs. Somewhat disconcertingly, there are life-size Grecian statues around as well. As Taylor moves around their kitchen, getting ready to make her mocha chocolate chip cookies, she talks about how she ended up in this house ended up as a huge country star. In order to reach the fans that she knew were out there for herself, she'd drive to radio stations with her parents, play songs in those conference rooms for decision makers, and then plead with them to put her on. People around here say that once you get the record deal, that's when the hard part starts. And I'm well aware of that and ready to step up to bat. 97.9 FM, it is a big 98 WSIX 831 on a Friday night. Will you want to take Let's a call? Take some calls. All right, why don't you go ahead and grab line one there. The big 98, this is Taylor Swift. Hey, Taylor. I love your song, Tim McGraw. Oh my gosh, I love it. The first time I heard it, I was on my way to school, and I just started bawling. I mean, it touched me. It really hit home. It really hit the heart. Thank you. So, oh my gosh, that means so much to me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great night, all right? You too. Would you guys like to hear a new song? And who was behind her in all this? Well, she had a record deal by this point, but not with a big label. Since she was a songwriting prodigy, a real savant, when she was in her mid-teens, she had had this songwriting contract with RCA. But now that was up. There was a guy, though, who had worked at Universal and was well-known in Nashville, and he wanted to sign her to his new independent label. Scott Borchetta at Big Machine. She went with him. Well, I told you she would stop by, and now, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Big Machine recording artist, it's Taylor Swift! When Scott got Taylor's demo, she'd sent a package including herself modeling in an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog, literally, like, holding a guitar and dabbing a tear. He saw something in Taylor. He thought she looked more like a young adult than a teenager. And her songs were great. I was just smitten on the spot. It was like a lightning bolt. The best part about getting a record deal was that it wasn't just a record deal. It was the right deal for me. I'm just so grateful that I got the right one and that I'm with people that I believe in and that they believe in me. I couldn't get up in the morning and not have her as part of this label. This is my chance. This is my chance to bring my music out of my bedroom where I'm writing it. Oh, I'm just a girl. Now, she was just a girl, yes, but her father, the one who worked for Merrill Lynch, and her mom, the mutual fund wholesaler, were also there with her. They were a pretty powerful business triumvirate, and they even invested in the Big Machine label. That's how much they believed in Taylor. But what were these songs that she was going to sing be about? Well, they were going to be about love, because this was country. They had to be about love, even though Taylor told me she didn't know too much about it. She said she was the girl who was friends with guys she liked, but 
didn't really show her real feelings about them. And then she'd support them as they went after other girls. She called it Girl Next Door-itis. I had Girl Next Door-itis, where in high school, I was always the girl that would be friends with the guy. And he liked the other girl, the girl that he couldn't have. Taylor said she hadn't had a lot of boyfriends, maybe five, maybe less, and only been in love once. But official boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, as she called it, were meaningless in terms of writing songs anyway. It was a crush, a glance, the way someone makes you feel for just a moment. That's her muse. She could blow these little moments into the most epic love song or breakup song, just like she'd experienced the whole arc of a relationship from dating to going your separate ways. Like, here she is telling me about one of her songs. I feel like I don't know you at all. You tell me that you like me and then you just cut me down. You got these stupid reasons for things that I don't even understand. There's yeah. no logic behind it, but you think there's logic behind it. Feeling like I don't know you. You tell me that you love me, then cut me down. And it just became a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they happen like that. Yeah. Just, you're going through something and... The only way that you know how to verbalize it is through music. Wow. Just hearing her say all that and sing a few bars, I felt I was in the presence of a true artist. Because that's how music was happening for Taylor. And that's how it would continue to happen for years and years. She would have a feeling, and then she'd pick up her guitar. And sometimes that was because she was mad at Katy Perry. And eventually, it would be about her romantic relationships, too. And other times, it would be because she was just able to see things other people couldn't. Angles, ways of business, ways of love. She would end up being such a visionary and such an intuitive mind that the words she was singing would become, for a lot of America, quite frankly, gospel. Thank you for a magnificent, happy, free, confused, sometimes lonely, but mostly golden decade. And as for me... Lately, I've been focusing less on doing what they say I can't do and more on doing whatever the hell I want. That's all next time on Infamous as we keep telling the story of Taylor Swift. This is just what happens to a woman in music if she achieves success or power beyond people's comfort level. I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. When I was younger, the bad guys always clearly marked. And that's the one that you need to stay clear of. The 22-year-old has realized that she maybe is correct. And like that, that sort of shifts a lot of their relationship.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.